This is like a discipleship class from like 2017 here. Long ago than that, I'd say. Oh no, that's my coffee. I'm sorry, I just put it there. It doesn't. No, it just... <laughs> it's a mocha. Yeah. All right. There you go. So in verse 22, is that yours? Wessel, you want to read for us? Sure. You just start reading in verse 22, and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. All right. Uh, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What? You're in chapter 32, verse 22, right? Yep. Okay. Um, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will be no longer uh, Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place uh, Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because he was hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched in the All right, there you go. So who is it that Jacob is wrestling? Who is this angel? I know it looks like an angel, but who is it? I think it's just Christ. I think it's it's Christ. Yeah. So it's the angel of the Lord, not a angel of the Lord. If it says the angel of the Lord, it's pre-incarnate Jesus. If it's a angel of the Lord, it's just an angel. Okay? So he's wrestling with God, and God says, okay, you've also wrestled man and overcome him. So here's um, Jacob wrestling God and wrestling man. Now, who are the men that he wrestled that he overcame? This is always like a quiz in uh, biblical ethics. Who, who are the two men that primarily that he wrestled and, and defeated? His uncle. His uncle, Laban. Mm-hmm. Okay. And his brother. And his brother, Esau. Also his father, <laughs> Isaac, because he, he wrestled him and got the blessing from him, which mm-hmm. Isaac was supposed to give him in the first place. Okay? So a lot of people think Jacob is a, is a bad guy. He's actually not a bad guy. These are bad guys. Uh, especially at the end of his life, Isaac is, is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Like a lot of the great biblical characters, he falls towards the end. Because God tells uh, Jacob's mother that there's two inside of you. One, the younger will rule over the older. Well, there you go. Everyone knows now who's who. But the father, Isaac, has a difficult time accepting this and, and tries to give away uh, Jacob's blessing to Esau. So he has to wrestle all of these people. Now he's wrestling God. And what's, what's fascinating about this is that this is now an image of the whole Christian life. The whole Christian life is one of wrestling. Um, if you turn also to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12... We'll just let Laura read that one. I can't read the font. So oh, you can't read the font on that one? Yeah, you know. Oh my gosh, there's all these people trying to come in with chairs. I'm sorry, you guys. We should move the ice hockey table out of here. Ephesians 6.12? Did you say 6.12? Yeah, 6.12. Yeah, we'll rearrange the room during midweek so that there's more yeah. space in here. Oh, I can I, I can move around the corner a little bit. can read it. What's that? <laughs> that actually, uh, I can guarantee. Mike, are you going to stand for the lesson here? Yeah. Okay, so we can. Scooch yeah, you guys can scooch down. I'm sorry. I did not expect this many people to come. Yeah, that's great. All right, so here's what we're talking about for everyone. You don't want this chair? No. So Louis Agonistes, the word Agonistes, the word Agonistes means, you know, it's a wrestler from Greek mythology. So what we're talking about is why is this book called Lewis Agonistes? Why is Lewis considered a wrestler? Um, because Lewis is, in fact, a wrestler. Here, now you guys got to shuffle down and let her have a seat. Just get up and sit in that chair there, Laura. We'll, well, then I'm going to be the teacher. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you all in for a treat. 
Not a good one, but... So we, what we've read so far is that in Genesis, Jacob wrestles with God, and God tells him that he had wrestled with men and with God and overcome them. Now in Ephesians 6.12, we take up this theme of wrestling, and who would like to read that for us? Ephesians 6.12. She can't read I can. I'll do it. Ephesians 12? Yeah. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay. So this is the idea. Man is wrestling God and other men and principalities and powers of the air. Okay, this is what God wants us to do is to wrestle these things. Now, what's interesting is that they're all equal. He doesn't make a distinction. It's not as if, oh, you wrestle God and these other things. No, this is what we're all wrestling with. (laughs) All of our conflicts. Why did God do this to me? Why is his providence and his circumstances this? Okay, you go into man, you're like, why do I have to deal with my... um, my brothers and sisters in the faith, even, because Esau is his brother, right? Isaac's his father. Here's this fight, even in our own families. We're wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And then, wonderfully enough, can anyone show me a principality and power? Who can show me a principality and power? What you, I missed something. What did you miss? Did you say we wrestle against God? Uh-huh. In that verse? Uh, it's when he wrestles the angel. Okay, so this was in Genesis. Genesis. Okay, Genesis. I missed something. Yeah, it's okay. I was trying to read. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. So all of this, these are all the people we're wrestling, things we're wrestling. Now, who, who can show me a principality and power of the air? Show? Yeah. Who can show me a principality and power of the air? Well, a principality is not necessarily out of the air. Principality could be a, a, a president. Okay. An evil person. Jay Ensley. Okay. He just happens to be a vessel which the right. principalities and the powers of the air use to, that we wrestle okay. with, right? Yes. Would that be correct? Yeah, because the antithesis of Genesis 3.15 means there are seeds of the son, or seeds of the woman and seeds of Satan. So you have seeds of Satan running around, you have seeds of the son running around, you have fallen angels running around who don't like us. This is, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote um, screw tape letters because he talked about the fact that there are fallen angels who are attacking us and tempting us. So he, his whole life, these are the three things that he was wrestling Yes, you have a I'm question. I'm sorry. It's okay, Laura. Insley is flesh and blood, so I don't see that as a principality or a power. But the That's principality is using him. That's not the point. Okay. The point is he's flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against Jacob. Well, who did, who did, I, uh, who did uh, Jacob wrestle? Oh, that's not what this verse says. <laughs> yeah, so That's the principle. So this is, it, it is a good point. I have just a little bit. Sure. So like here, here's an example. It. Here's an example. Um, a few years ago, they decided to x-ray one of those Buddha statues that people worship. And you know what they discovered inside the Buddha statue? was a skeleton. Because inside the, inside the Buddha statue was actually a person. And it's this extremely long process by which you commit suicide by drinking poison tea. And you sit in this position. And if you reach a certain nirvana before you die, they uh, dip you in bronze and make you one of these Buddhas that they worship. So now let's talk about this, right? This, I think, is the tension that you guys are feeling. Is the, whoever thought that those things, whether you go to a, a Buddhist temple and there's just a Buddha statue and it's just a statue, how many of you guys ever thought, oh, it's just a statue? Okay, well, what's, what's, well, what they're finding of the oldest ones in China do. Okay, and, and so this is what um, is common with this kind of thing is that angels are fallen, okay, but they're not, they're not God, they're not omniscient, they're not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at one time. This is one of those things. Like Satan doesn't, Satan doesn't tempt most of you. You're you're too far below his pay grade. I, I mean, I honestly, truly, he has minions that do that work for him. If he's going, if Satan is going to <laughs> uh, tempt somebody and lead somebody astray, do you think he's going to go for the chancellor of Germany, or is he going to go for the janitor who works at the you know the Reichstag? Right? He's going to go for Hitler. So the whole idea is that we're fighting against these powers of darkness that are aligned with the seed of the serpent, and they're opposed to us. And this is what we're wrestling, okay? And, and, and Louis Agonistes, Agonistes is this idea of this wrestler. This is what the Christian man is supposed to be. The Christian woman is supposed to be a wrestler. Now, the word wrestle, what, do you, what comes to your mind when you hear the word wrestle? Little boys. <laughs> <laughs> nice, okay, little boys wrestling, right? Yeah. 
because wrestling is kind of a funny one. It's not fighting to the death. I mean, it's not. It, he doesn't say go to war with him. Um, the angel doesn't come and have a sword fight with him. They wrestle. It's it's kind of an interesting childlike way of describing the conflict. Okay, but it, it yes. I have this image of these guys in high school and they're sweating to try and get down one pound in the next lower weight class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody wants to fight in the lower weight class. It's true. So, um, but the underlying issue that I want to talk about is the fact that it's conflict, okay? Um, modern Christians are like, hey, let's, have, let's open a channel of dialogue, right? Can't we all just participate in this conversation that's been going on? Like, let's just have a dialogue. And if Jacob were here, C.S. Lewis here, or God were here, he'd be like, no, that's nonsense. Like, if you're going to open a right, dialogue, it better lead to fisticuffs. It better lead to somebody accusing somebody of wickedness. <laughs> like, we don't debate worldviews simply to hear interesting ideas. Uh, Andrew, when he was here, he said something very fascinating to me. He, you know, he comes from academic East Coast highbrowness, and he said, it's really amazing how all you guys out here really believe this stuff. He said, when we go back home, we all just sort of stir our brandy and our glasses and talk about ideas. And, like, you guys out here are like, you believe this stuff. Like, you're fighting, it, right? You're, like, you're going to maybe some of you lose your jobs because Christianity, it's now a fight. And, and, and it was refreshing to him to know that Christianity is not simply academic Christianity, right? We're not here to just simply talk about ideas. We have to wrestle with these things. Now, if we turn to uh, Galatians chapter 6. And we just read verses 1 and 2. Rich, are you going to do that for us? That bright purple shirt, look at that. Uh, which chapter? Chapter 6. Okay. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so if I want, if I, now, there's a couple of things here that I like. First off, how many of us see somebody in sin and say, oh, look at what that person did. Look at that person, they willfully, open-mindedly, they walk right into that sin with their eyes wide open. That's generally how we think of almost everything. But this is interesting because it says trapped. People get trapped in sin, right? It happens to all of us. We, we are, th th this requires a great deal Actually, we have it this time again. Sorry, Jared. No we are um, prone to think of sin as always willful. But this, right, if you see somebody in sin, it, it might actually be that it's like a bear trap on their leg. And what your job is, is not to stand there and be like, how did you let this happen? Right, as a dad, this is always what I, I got my 14-year-old son, and this is what I'm always tempted to say. Why did, what's wrong with you? Why did you do this? What's inside of you? You know, in Titus now, he's used to me when I go off the rails. He's a the fall dad. The fall. Good <laughs> point. point. You got me there. Let me just pry open this bear trap on your leg now. Okay? And, and, what, and in order to do that, you have to be spiritual. So if you go back in the book of Galatians, preceding this statement, he explains how to walk by the Spirit. So the point that I want to make is that before you can wrestle others, you have, right? Before you can wrestle the bear trap, you have got to first wrestle yourself. The more you wrestle yourself, the more you wrestle these ideas within yourself, um, the, the more capable you're going to be of wrestling it with others. Okay? If the, the more spiritual you are, the more capable you will be of walking by the Spirit and freeing people from sin. This is the idea. Now, given the fact, and, and that's actually the theme now, one of the themes, this is what this first class is about, themes in C.S. Lewis's life. He was an atheist, okay? If you read The Problem of Pain, chapter 4, he actually <laughs> argues why evolution is good. He explains evolution, and it's good, and it's right, and you're like, wait, what? And later, he has some of the greatest arguments against evolution that I've ever heard. But the reason he did is because he first had to wrestle with it himself. <laughs> the reason he's such a great apologist is he first, the man of reason, had to wrestle with these ideas himself. He had to learn how to walk by the Spirit so that he could go and untrap people from sin. Now, if he, now here we are, talking about C.S. Lewis like 55 years after he died. If he's this good at opening up bear traps that other people are caught in, how much do you think he wrestled within himself? Mm 
How much of himself do you think he brought under submission to Jesus Christ if he's this capable of going out and doing it for others? Right now, there's things in his life, Mrs. Moore, his combativeness, his drunkenness. There are other things we could talk about in C.S. Lewis's life where he clearly had a feet of clay. But the central idea is that even though he was a flawed man, he wrestled with these things internally in such a way as to make him ferocious when wrestling in the, with these things with others. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did, uh, how many of you guys actually read Lewis Agonistes, the portions of it? Yes. Part of it. Okay. I just want to know. So if I'm talking about it, Okay, so this is the first theme. Lewis the wrestler. Okay, if we're going to engage in ideas, if we're going to engage in apologetics and outreach and all of these things, or just dealing with sin in our own household, we have to ourselves become wrestlers. Okay, so now the other thing I want to talk about um, is this idea of poetics and logic. This is another theme in his life. Now, when I say poetics, do you guys know what I mean by that? What, is, what are poetics? Okay, it's not verse. That's not poetry. Um, poetics, um, all right. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by doing what? Speaking. Okay, so he said, let there be a tree, and then there's a tree. So then you go later in the scriptures to say the Psalms, and they talk about how um, nature is itself declaring the glory of God. Uh, Romans 1 says, you know, you can see God's attributes, for goodness sakes, his attributes, the internal things that make God God, you see them in nature. So when you look at a mountain, is it just a mountain? Right? When you look at a mountain, is it just a big giant rock that you're looking at? No, it's a sign and symbol of something. It's a metaphor for something. Um, When you, right, think about baptism, what, like, the fact that we use water, what does water do? Right? Why are we using water of all things? What is it, right? Why does the metaphor work so well? When we ask for our daily bread, most people don't eat bread. Uh, missionaries go into parts of the <laughs> southern hemisphere. Nobody knows anything about bread there. But why is it that, right? So now we have to teach them how to be civilized in such a way as to make bread for themselves. And in the interim, what we have to do is figure out to them what is the daily bread. So these missionaries used to uh, translate the Bible and there's some fruit there that just grows out in the open, this island in the South Pacific. And, and they actually changed the word in the Bible to be the name of this fruit because everyone there understood it. But over time, what they did is they taught them how to make bread, right? So there's metaphors. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the uh, bread of, I'm the, I'm the way, the truth, the life. He says, I am, and there's these seven statements in John. He's always referring to something else so that you understand him better. Okay, this is poetics. It's metaphor. Um, it's how the whole created order works. Um, <clears throat> this is what I, I find so fascinating. Like, you hold up your Bible, and what is it? What is a Bible? It's the Word of God. It's a, it's a somewhat abstract thought, but it is the Word of God, but what does that mean exactly? It's not. It's ink and paper and leather paper. This is the word of God. This has quite a few other things to say for some other people besides simply God. See, it's, and, and this is what I find fascinating about this. And, and um, there are these firefighters who were being sworn in, and, and everyone forgot the Bible. And so they opened the Bible app uh, on their phone. And the guy laid his hand on this. And this seemed to be okay for a lot of people until the chaplain of the fire department heard about it and he said you have to do it again and get a real bible and it became this whole thing this fire department because you're like it isn't technically the word of god it's a phone that you lay your hand on so poetics is all about this idea of metaphor okay um this is why c.s lewis is very good at what he does because he's very very good at using metaphors think of what like who who's more quotable than c.s lewis he just puts everything like truth What's that? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically yeah. speaking. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. <laughs> now, the logic portion. Okay. So poetics. Now, how many of you guys tend to be more like, well, we haven't finished. Let's just talk about logic first. Because most of us tend to be more one of these than the other. I am definitely not the more logical thinker. What is logic? 
The science and art of reasoning. There you go. The science and art. Look at that. That's like a homeschool mom definition. Yeah. Right <laughs> That's a mom of classical students. Yeah, right. Yeah. Do it, girl. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and, and this is what um, this word, logic. So in, in Greek mythology, or Greek mythology, sorry, Greek philosophy, they had this idea of the Logos. Uh, the Logos was an idea that existed before John used the idea. Uh, and it's this overarching, the arche, this thing that holds everything together, that precedes everything, that brings order to everything, um, that everything fits in it, and it make, gives everything purpose and meaning. Okay? So this is why he said the Logos was God. The Logos was there in the beginning. The Logos, he's saying something. What do you have? Have you had a hard time reading? Oh my gosh, okay. it's not my eyes. Um, so, <laughs> the Logos was this Greek philosophical idea, and the fact that he used it is massively scandalous because he completely changed it. And, and this is why later he, in Colossians he talks about the preeminence of Christ. In him all things were created, in him all things are held together. He's the central logical um, syllogism that God makes. Here is Jesus. Do you want to you understand the world? Do you want to understand creation? you want to understand yourself? Do you want to understand me? Jesus. And so if you take these two things together, metaphor and um, reasoning well, and you put them together, this is where you get Paul, John, and Mark, and Peter. This is where the, the apostles had these two things, poetry and reason. All the authors of the scriptures do. And occasionally what happens, um, because God is kind to us and because things change, our, our ability to understand things change, a person comes along who can do both of these things well. I don't think anyone does them better in the last 300 years, 500 years even, than C.S. Lewis. You, like, um, yeah, Calvin is very logical, but Calvin is not very poetic. Right? If you read him, you're like, wow, I kind of understood that. I need a flow chart. It's yep. very logical. But it's not like reading uh, The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis where it just, it, it does something to you. Like, it, it captures your, both your imagination and your reason. And if you're going to capture people's imagination and their reason, you've got them, okay? Um, because some people are very logical. I go through this all the time with preaching. I will preach a sermon, and people come up to me, and they're like, I have no idea what the logical through line of that thing was. And I was like, just go home and think about it. There was no logical through line. The thing was mostly poetics, okay? I'm trying to capture your imagination. That does not work with a lot of people. What, what people want are like very, very tight, structured arguments. And sometimes it gets tiring to do both, and so I just toggle back and forth, <laughs> too. And occasionally, the best sermons I've ever preached, is true, is when these two things come together. C.S. Lewis, he was converted, we're going to talk about the next class we have, through his imagination. Okay? <laughs> and then he had to convince his logic. Yeah. He came over to deism through his imagination and then had to convince his reason to come along. <laughs> That's why he says that the first thing that was baptized about him was his imagination. So, uh, of you guys, who are, who's more of the poetics versus logic? Who's more poetics? Who's more imagination? Capture the imagination. I would say I am. Yeah. Right? Story. I like Bonson, logic, but then I like Lightheart, metaphor. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. There's, that, there's that mix, but I'd yeah. much rather read Lightheart than Bonson. Right. Totally. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And... Um, his friend Tolkien, right, was Tolkien more of a logic guy or a poetics guy? Poetic. Poetics, yeah. right? He didn't, he, he wrote, when he would get into this, I have a very difficult time understanding what Tolkien's saying. Um, he didn't think it was his job to ever explain theology to anyone because that's how Catholics think. Uh, it's, the priest, it's the priests that do it all. So he, would, he does occasionally write about subjects, and it's very difficult to follow. But you read um, Lord of the Rings, and you're like, okay, I don't. This is a world I'd like to live in. This is a, let's bring, right? May this kingdom come on earth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So who of you guys are more of the logical? Laura, I can't possibly imagine. Are you the logical type? Not, not one bit. No, not a bit. Sure. Logic. Logic. Anybody else? Logic. 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 So this is another huge theme. When he is a young man, C.S. Lewis, um, he. He has, uh, his father is very, very, very um, poetical, okay? His father is a lawyer. His father is all about rhetoric. His father is also an Irishman, so he's very passionate, and there's not a lot of logic to it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing about po poetics is you make wild connections, right? How do you connect a mountain to God's glory? Well, and this is how poets work. 
they, they're seers in the old ways they were magicians and prophets because they see connections between things that nobody else sees now his father would do this all the time and it actually gave poor Lewis all sorts of weird hang ups right? he would be like oh we're gonna he would see some expenditure that they had and argue that they were all going to be in the poorhouse in a few weeks and this emotional reaction to money always led C.S. Lewis to believe they were extremely poor when they were children <laughs> which wasn't true um, so his father, there was not a lot of reason in his father. Now his mother was had a mathematics degree. Okay, she the, she was like the polar opposite. Part of the reason C.S. Lewis is the way he is is because he had two parents, one solidly in each camp, that that equally influenced him. And the 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 other way they did this is they, they were both voracious readers in completely different directions, and they did not they were no dis, no discernment whatsoever. Boys, read whatever you want. If you can read, read it. And they would read all kinds of things. They would read um, books about spiders and books about math and, and books about fairy tales and books about Beatrix Potter. So C.S. Lewis in his younger years has this conflict that, that, um, that he struggles with and struggles with and struggles with because he, he loses his faith and becomes an atheist and becomes a naturalist. Okay, there is nothing outside of nature. Nothing. There's no supernatural. There's just nature. And yet, the, his favorite thing to read was poetry, right? George MacDonald and fairy tales and all these things where there's all this meta, rich metaphor. And over time, he starts to say, wait a minute, most of these guys are Christians. Mm -hmm. Most of these guys, all the atheists write terrible books. Why do the atheists write terrible books and the Christians write awesome books, but I, Christians are stupid? And these guys are smart. And this is a struggle all, all the way through. And then later, once he is able to wrestle with this himself, right, this is why he's able to do all the, all the wonderful apologetics that he's able to do, mm -hmm. including against naturalism. Okay, do you guys have any questions? I'm doing a lot of talking. No? I do, but... Okay, what's your question? It's going back to it. We haven't answered the question, what are principalities of the air? Not Jay Inslee. <laughs> That's still going through my well, head. But you're Maybe making, everybody else knows the answer. Please no, tell no, me. You're, well, you're making a dichotomy that doesn't exist. Okay? So go back and read if verse... What is a principality? Okay, well, let's read the whole verse. Okay. Let's read the whole verse one more time. So, we back so that Laura, so that we can move on to his joy. <laughs> joy is, is the next thing. <clears throat> Who wants to read it in its entirety? Well, I, the whole verse. Yep, the whole verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, we do not wrestle against Jay Inslee. Okay. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against uh -huh. the cosmic powers over this present darkness, uh -huh. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right. So, so hold on. you got to take the whole entirety because this is how things work. We don't pit verses against one another. So you take the verses in Genesis where he says he wrestled God and man. Then you take the verse from Ephesians where it says you wrestle against principalities and powers of the air. So we're wrestling against men, we're wrestling against God, we're wrestling against principalities and powers of the air. Principalities and powers of the air traditionally are fallen angels. Okay? So like there's a... How do they consider Nephilim? Hold on. Yes. Okay. Now there's what did a... You say? The, the Nephilim. Nephilim. Okay. Okay, there's another verse in the Old Testament. It's Ezekiel. So you're saying this is just a third... A, a I, third I, I was adding all the things up. Okay. I was not pitting them against one another. Yeah, so I would say Jay Inslee because of... He's a man. Yep. And I would say there's a force behind Jay Inslee, too. I agree with that one. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. We're all happy, right? So um, one, at one point, Michael, the archangel in the Age of Angels, the Old Testament, he comes to one of the prophets and he says, Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I was supposed to come like last week. Right. Was, was the king of Prussia stopped me. Or Persia. Not Persia. Right. Sorry, the king of Prussia. I'm confusing my Daniel, classes. Yeah. yeah. He says, the king of, of Persia held me up. And you're like, how does a king hold up an archangel? Unless he himself is an archangel. And then later in the same book, he start, he's, has this, the prophet talks about the king of Persia. And he's like, you were there in the beginning in the garden. And you ruined my plan. And you were the most beautiful thing I ever made. And you're like, who is he talking to? Because the king of Prussia wasn't the king of Prussia, right? The, the, the principality and power behind the king of Prussia was who he was talking to. Whatever, I'm sorry. <laughs> the pea country. <laughs> Sometimes I read too many things at once. Yeah. And all of it just starts to blend together. Okay. 
All right, so for those of you who know, um, joy is, is a very important Christian doctrine. It's not just this idea, it's not just a word. It's, in a, it's a very important Christian doctrine. But C.S. Lewis has a very strange version of it. Do you, does anyone here know, or could you, you anyone want to try to explain C.S. Lewis's version of joy? It's weird. So I like him, but this is it a weird was idea. temporary. It wasn't continuous. He would reach the, you know, his ultimate joy, okay. but then it wouldn't stay with him. He'd, nope. ha- he'd have to fight to get it back. Yep. Okay. It, it was a temporary thing. Okay. Good. Okay. Someone's raising their hand. I was just going to read from... Oh, here we go. Do it. So, from page five. The experience of joy was not an end in itself, but a beacon or signpost that pointed beyond itself to a richer, fuller, more intense world that was both supernatural and super sensible. Okay. So, when it first happened to him, believe it or not, his his brother Warney makes this weird garden, like a little kid garden. Okay, and this, like, box top, and brings it to him, and it's, like, stabbed in the heart with this hang of joy for some yearning for something and it's like there and it's gone and it was the first time he ever experienced it and then as he goes through life this is a thing that would continue to happen to him um, that, ha- that, that was very formative to him so he would what, what happened is the, as he got older the experiences became less and less he would start chasing them now when it, what do you think happened whenever he was chasing joy he never found it. He never found it. It would elude him. It would elude him. Mm-hmm. Now, has anyone ever experienced this? Mm-hmm. Certain things bring me joy. You know what? Because I, I, this is like Paul. Paul talks about the fact that he didn't know something. Like, once he was told something was a sin, all he wanted to do was that thing. Like, I never wanted to do this before, but now that I know I can, I want to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And this is partially how it worked for Lewis, right? Once he had this sensation, he wanted this sensation all the time as if he could manufacture this sensation. Right, so when I have a steak, the, I, I'm like, this sensation is amazing. I want to have this sensation again. Then you eat two steaks, and then you eat heartburn <laughs> and indigestion. You can't sleep because your body's like trying to work all that out. And, um, and and this is also something in my. I mean, I I sympathize with this idea a lot because you get this feeling, and then you want to chase it, and then it actually it gets further and further away. And what you're doing to try to generate the joy actually ends up becoming the opposite of joy. Mm-hmm. But this is very weird way. It's a, there's a German word, sinsucht. Thank you. Yeah. And that actually is better word than joy. I think it's very confusing that it calls it joy. Um, because joy doesn't mean that to me. It's not like a sensation that's temporary. Um, but this whole idea, he later in his, his life, he argues for this concept of we have these desires within us that nothing in this world can satisfy. Therefore, we were not made for this world. This is his argument. I have desires that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world, which means I wasn't actually made for this world. I was made for a different world where it can be satisfied. And this is his vision of heaven. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the thing he's longing for, the northernness, he would sometimes call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, he would just... Yeah, he was reading... A, um, yeah, Wagner... He got this description of Wagner in Time magazine or something, Punch magazine, whatever he was reading. And, and it was describing Balder is dead. Balder the beautiful is dead. He's dead. And it's like this, just this line. And that's the second time he had this idea of joy. And then so he associated this joy somehow with like Viking northernness, which is something he romantically loved a lot. Um, now, is there anything, like let's talk, let's get personal now. Is there anything in your life that's similar to this, to this like child garden this statement he reads, this pursuit of things that are beautiful, where you've either been surprised by it or you've tried to capture it and it slips through your fingers. Has anyone ever just been like <gasps> surprised by joy, like he is? I, I feel like I get those sort of glimpses of when I travel. Yeah, when you and travel. Like, yeah, this sense of awe and wonder. It's, I don't know, it's, you know, it's something grabs my heart and mm-hmm. I'm whoa you know and yeah I wish I could experience that all the time but yeah. and then it realizes that you there's something beyond your little world and what you're looking at mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it kind of draws your affections towards it right you want it you want it again mm-hmm. 
Um, anybody else? Yes, Wessel. Yeah. The, I mean, this is a pretty personal one, but it's a good one. Um, so I got married. It's a mixed company. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so I got married almost a year ago now. Um, yeah, first anniversary next 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 month. Nice. Great. Hmm. But one of the things that I remember from my wife giving me her vows was that she had this line about how she struggled with the idea of unconditional love, but I, she told me, and I didn't know this until she was standing before me, that I, like. In order to understand that, I was her best example, mm-hmm. and Woo, yeah, I started. Yeah, I started. Like, can I have this joy every day of marriage? Yeah, no. you can. That, that no, was a joyful surprise, and then <laughs> still moved by that. So. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, lovely. Everybody else, everyone's quiet and contemplative. <laughs> <laughs> I've been fishing down the river and come around a corner, and the sun's shining on it in a certain way, and then you know, just like a, a mayfly hatch happens. And, it's just amazing, right? Yeah. You see the fish jump, and that was like a, a, a joyful experience for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can walk down that river a million times and not see that exact sun, right. sunshine right, right. and all that stuff. But then I also get joy out of watching your kids wrestle. Right. It's weird, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the joy of an old man to watch the exuberance of a young couple boys just yeah, yeah. going for it. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah. So I get this weird sense of it brings me back to my childhood with my right. brother and that yeah. and, and in a sense I get this weird when I see these little guys not all the time just certain times right you see you see right. yourself and these little kids and you get this joy out of it right mm-hmm. I can't maybe women don't get that but I do yeah I don't know <laughs> weird. Good. Yeah. for a moment I thought someone had a radio on but that's <laughs> <laughs> they just do that song that well now yeah. Uh, anybody ever have that sensation at church where you're there and you're like you see past the veil sometimes with like the doxology at the end it's yeah. like all the hands raised yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's pretty yeah. good yeah like how could it be better than this right yeah. exactly right this is and this is what we're all headed for for eternity so it, this is actually the end and you get occasionally a little glimpse of it in a strip mall and like, yeah, joy is elusive to me Yes, there you go. Say that again. Joy is elusive to repeat. Yeah. The same type of joy. Yeah, because I'm... I'm to do that all the time. Yeah, it's, I'm with Byron. You could go to back to the same spot again and again and again. Say, right? This moment. Yeah. Not, not have that same okay, where was I standing? What time of the day was it? I'll take a yeah. picture of it, and it never comes again there. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed when I, when I see ladies or moms with their babies, and it's just like... It's, it's like... They get a certain amount of joy from this, and me as a guy, I'm going, man, that's like the 430 diaper. It's, <laughs> it's like drudgery to me, <laughs> but for the wife or the mom, it's it's joy, and it's, I I can't I can't relate as yeah. As there's a, guy. a serenity about it. Yeah, I don't. I, or watching my wife cook, and it's just like, yeah. how many meals have you cooked for me? And she's in that kitchen. She's in that euphoric state. <laughs> <laughs> Is it pork chop? Is it? I'm joyful because I know what I'm getting for dinner. <laughs> but I, I look at her and I go, I, her work ethic just, I can't believe it. Yeah, nice. You know, and it just, it, I, I go, I don't get it. Oh God, I'll teach you. Well, no. I don't, I don't hold on, hold on. It's not what he meant. He doesn't want to deprive you. <laughs> um, Byron, in that bag there, can you see if I have a book called Tree and Leaf? Uh, okay, so the next theme that we're going to talk about is escapism. What's it called? Uh, Tree and Leaf. It's then it's actually a Tolkien book. So another theme that C.S. Lewis, yeah, that's the one right there. So escapism, you know, um, this is a, a difficult concept because there's there's kind of good escapism and bad escapism. Okay, if I want to escape my life by uh, smoking a bunch of dope and watching Netflix for 12 hours. That's not what I mean by escapism. Okay, that's just not dealing with life. <laughs> yeah. But there was there was this big argument going on when C.S. Lewis um, was teaching about you know these highbrow people he worked with didn't like the fact that he wrote such popular level books, right? And and, and they kind of accused him of sort of selling out. And and, and he, but he was he was like, hey, I mean, you know. I'm, I'm going on the radio, I'm, I'm writing these books because there are people who like reading books who aren't academics. 
Um, and, and he would defend things like the Penny Dreadfuls. And, and it was like these trashy novels um, that you could buy for like a penny a piece on, the, on this like rack, you know, at the end of the grocery store right before you pay. And um, he got this idea from, from Chesterton. Uh, Chesterton was always distracted. He was always escaping. Uh, he was a very odd man. He carried a pistol. But he also, if he would empty his pockets in any given day, he would have like money and uh, Cracker Jacks and like some rubber band guns. And he would just have like all kinds of, he would always buy like these weird little kid toys because uh, he was just always fascinated by them. And he would like to amuse himself for a few minutes when he had a few minutes while he was waiting. And this is, this is this debate. Why are you encouraging people to escape? And Tolkien's point was, the only people who are worried about escapism are the jailers. Right? The only people who are worried about you actually escaping are the, are the people who are keeping you in a prison. <laughs> and then this is the, the debate. What we do and don't mean by this. Okay? Um, and this was a big theme for C.S. Lewis. Uh, I love watching my kids read. And, and it, it just drives this point home again and again and again. Because there's Titus uh, in his leather chair with his tea, having his joy. Um, that man, that, how does a young man like tea this much? Anyway, okay. Um, so he's drinking his tea, and he's got this Shackleton book. And he's reading about these men who are traveling across Antarctica, and it's brutal. And, and like his eyes are dilated, and he's laughing to himself, and he's, just, he's totally escaped where he is. He's running loose now in what I call fairyland. Mm-hmm. He's, he's somewhere else in another place learning things that I couldn't teach him in my backyard because I, my backyard is warm and doesn't have ice and nobody's losing their toes, right? But you go in books, you go through books into these other lands and you learn things and you come back. It's, the, it's, it's amazing about humans. We can change and not even leave our house. Mm-hmm. I can sit in my car and read a book and be changed by it and nothing, I'm not, I'm not done anything. Okay, now that's escapism, and this is what Tolkien and Lewis were all about. We've got to get people out of this modern world into fairyland. We've got to get people out of this modern world into medievalism, right, into Christendom, and, and people need to catch a vision through their imagination. They need to get somewhere else, be changed by it, come back, and change the world they live in, right? C.S. Lewis, uh, I can't remember which one said it, Tolkien or Lewis. They said, if you can't be fascinated by the flowers in your backyard, there's no point in sending you to the moon. You'll be mm-hmm. bored, right? If you're not fascinated by the flowers in your backyard, you're a boring, stupid person. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, and so this, this is why they wrote the kind of books they wrote, right? Think about going through Middle Earth and all the things you experience there. And you come back and you're not the same. And, and they worked very hard at writing books like that and promoting books like that. Uh, uh, so, so that you would go to fairyland, say, and you come back, and you see a kind of magic in your backyard. C.S. Lewis said there were these hills by where his father's house was, where he, could, he, can, he saw why the Irish invented things like giants. He's like, you're in this place that just, it's like you expect a giant to come around the corner at any moment. It just looks like the kind of place. And so then what you do is you have this magical world you live in, and then you write stories that reflect it, and, you, and, and, and what you do is you're, you're, uh, you're allowing people to escape from the prison they're in, the modern, cold, rationalist, naturalist, um, uh, Darwinian world in which they live. Okay? So this is another major theme. Now, how many of you guys um, experience reading on this level? Think of it as escapism. Okay. Yeah. You look very happy. I am. That's joy. Yeah, it is joy. It is. Um, I'm reading Brideshead Revisited right now, and I hate this book. I cannot put this book down. I was like literally, partially while I was late, it's because I was reading it. <laughs> and I don't like it, but it's like they've got me in this world, and I'm like, I'm changed. I, I, I recognize characters in my own world because I've spent time with these characters and I don't like them and yet I just want to find out what happens. <laughs> and this is what happens in, with good stories. Now, we live in an era too where it's not just books. Um, this also happens with movies. Interstellar is this movie yeah. made by... Um, Nolan? Yes. And I can't stop thinking about it. And it's like not really... I, I, I understand the point he's trying to make and I don't agree with him. But I just want to go in this world that he's made. <laughs> I want to. I want to fly around. I want to see this planet where everything's waves. Like it's just. It's crazy how it works on our minds, and it makes me think about things that I wouldn't have thought about before. Now, do you guys experience things like that? 
where it's not just books, but it's movies and shows. Yeah, you have an example. The Matrix. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah, that yeah that, that's really like Fight Club. Fun. It had such yeah. a huge yeah. effect on God's rage. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Fight Club, and I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be a man. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody punched me in the face. That's so manly. And and it was part of this long journey to realize I wasn't very much of a man. Believe it or not, right? Yes. I would argue, though, that this is why we find ourselves with things like libs of TikTok. Because mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, all the teenage literature was geared towards not only escapism into a different world, but a world where all authority is wrong, and you, the teenager, are right. And if you can just get them to see your vision, mm -hmm. or just overcome that, then they, then we yes. will be unified and all will be right. And so now we have these kids trying to force their, like, truth on the world. <laughs> their truth. And, and, yeah, and true. most of it is geared towards girls. Yeah. There's not a lot of male-oriented good literature out there no. for yeah. the team. Right. And they're not reading it in school anymore, the good stuff, right. because mm -hmm. it's racist. Right. They're not reading at home, and they read stuff at school, and it's crap. Yeah. 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 Or I would argue, even, even in Christian classical schools, the fact that we have to read Narnia in third grade, and half the class hasn't read Narnia yet, I'm kind of floored by. Like, yeah. that was a staple of every Christian kid in the 80s. Right. Like, if you're everyone's parent. Right. Yeah, because that, and we're going to get more into that part of it because you're shaping tastes, right? It's called yeah. soul. So I would argue that the principalities of the air recognize that this, this, idea. this is like yes. they can insert a whole lot of crap. Right, because yeah. think about like how depressing Instagram can be. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're like, these people look so happy. Now, as a person who posts a lot on Instagram, <laughs> I try to go, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to post a picture of my messy house in the background and I'm not going to I'm not going to get up and make sure everyone, everything is clean yep. before I take this picture because what I want is everyone to see how destroyed everything is after we eat dinner right I mean like and, and it's true if you go on there look at these people with their perfect lives their perfect bodies their perfect attitudes the perfect settings to everything that they do and it's and you have these influencers now and this is a kind of escapism too, right? I want to escape out of my horrible life and, and, and go on here and waste hours scrolling through all of this perfection on here and escape this awful life I'm in. Because I think you're right, the principalities of powers of the air understand this principle. It's a weapon. And so we have to use it accordingly and not get sucked into it, right? The amount of Christians who like the Wolf of Wall Street and um, Game of Thrones. And if, if anyone in here likes either of those things, come talk to me afterwards. Because we'll do some counseling. Okay, but those are things Christians ought to recognize. Right? You, um, one pastor way back when I was converted is like, you, you, I, I don't have to take the lid off a garbage can to tell you it stinks. Yeah. It's a garbage can. It stinks. <laughs> and I find this is a, is a lot with a lot of pop culture. I don't need to know. Like, well, have you watched it? Do you, don't you want to engage in this dialogue? I'm like, I don't want to engage in dialogue about it because it's dumb. And I don't need to take the lid off a garbage can to know that it smells bad inside. Um, so, Game of Thrones. So many people got sucked into that. Yeah, right? Because they do want that that world, that fairy story. Yes. They want that world. Mm -hmm. no, it's true. But I never watched it. That's fine. You guys are good. You guys are no, good. No, it's whatever. Yeah. Don't look into it. A bunch of junk into <laughs> it. Now, have any of you guys been uh, sucked into the negative side of this, the escapism, right? This happened to me years ago. There was a show I was watching called Turn, okay? And you're like, it's historically moderately accurate as far as the background. Like, there's all this stuff about it that's good. And But by the fifth episode, I'm rooting for the two people to have an affair. And I was like, how, what road... At what point during the show did I think did they convince me this was a good idea, right? Because they do all the modern stuff. Well, they really loved each other, and they, they were forced to do these other... And, I, and like this is why I talk so much about what you're absorbing. Because ethically, my wife was like, are you rooting for these two? Yeah. She had not seen any of the show to that point. Like, what are you watching? 
She's like, why are you? <laughs> what's break, wrong with well, you? Breaking Bad and The Wire did that for so many. Oh yeah. Just oh yeah. Clicked into this idea so. of let's root and watch this person descend into utter depravity. Yeah. But we're still rooting. We're still them. rooting yeah. for them. And they do this to us all the yeah. time. Yeah. And 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 that's not the kind of story we should be escaping into. Okay. Um, the problem is it's really really hard to find. Good yeah. stories. Yeah. Good books. Good we movies. must be really old because we... You know. have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you just keep watching Heartland, you're fine. <laughs> I wanted to say this escapism, though. Sort of, I think of Azalea. She always seemed to be able to get in her own little world, but we're talking at the table, and our table, you know, gets yeah. pretty noisy, and... You'd see Azalea sitting there, and she'd sort of giggle out loud. And we'd go, okay, Mrs. Bean, have you watched Mr. Bean? Yeah. And you know how he is all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'd say, where were you, Mrs. Bean? Yeah. <laughs> and we'd all laugh at Azalea, but yeah. she did a lot of, a lot of that. She yeah. could, I mean, I think that's how she dealt with well, it's true. I mean, my wife and I notice this all the time. We count the couples when we're on dates who are sitting at a table together on their phones. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I just, I, I, I don't know what to do. Like, this, I want to just take the phones from them. Be yeah. like, talk to each other. And if you can't talk to each other, because my assumption most times is most people aren't married. I'm like, what do you, like, what, what is this existence you're living? Yeah. Um, and that's why, like, Amory and I, we get out the phone. And I'm like, put those away. Not those people. <laughs> yeah. like, I just want to see if the kids are okay. I'm like, put the phone away. Okay, fine. Just see if the kids are okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so these are some major themes, okay? Wrestling, joy, escapism, poetics, logic. These are things that are going to come up in this class again and again and again. That's why we covered them in, from the 30,000 foot level. Now, next week I won't be here. Jared's preaching, and we're not going to have class. It'll be the 10th. Okay, and when um, at that point uh, you read through page, um, I forgot what is it? Uh, yeah, the homework for next time is Problem of Pain, chapters 1 through 3, and Lewis Agonistes 10 through 17. Chapters 1 through 3. Okay, yeah, but I mean, you read what you want to read, but the, the key part we're going to be talking about is Lewis Agonistes, page 10 through 17. Uh, that talk I'm giving is called Addison's Walk, um, and we're going to talk about how C.S. Lewis came to be a Christian, how he moved first from atheism to deism, and then deism to Christianity. Does that make sense, everyone? Mm -hmm. Okay, and we'll look at some more themes of his life. Any questions? No, okay. Uh, Steve, will you pray for us? Sure. Father, thank you that you give us the opportunity to gather together. Father, help us to not take anything for granted but to see it from your good hand. Lord, I pray that these words would go into our hearts and change us in our spirit. Father, thank you that we're able to uh, have service today and assemble together and worship you. And I pray that we would all be encouraged and convicted and that we would honor you as we leave here today. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.